hello and welcome back to I Don't Imagine Anyone's Listening, the podcast where I talk about whatever I want to talk about because I don't imagine that anyone's listening. I am your host, Monica Marager, writer, editor, professional internet nobody, no longer a bookseller. Yes, it has been quite some time since I have been with you all, like almost a year, but you know, life happens you don't have time to do the thing. So, but now I'm back. I'm back doing the thing. I have, if you will allow me, been persuaded to do the thing. That's right. It's a very bad pun. We are talking about Netflix's persuasion. It's, you know, it's a movie technically. That's a little bit unfair, which is part of uh, what I'm going to talk about. So I think uh, more than a review, I mean, it, this is kind of a review, but I think this is a, uh, I'm, 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 I like to think of this more as a, uh, let me tell you what I thought so you can decide whether or not you want to bother to watch this movie. Because I have to say, all the criticisms I've seen of this movie online are absolutely fair. And I did actually really like watching this movie. I didn't think it was that bad, but um, some of my favorite criticisms I saw were Dakota Johnson looks like a person who knows what an iPhone is. 100% fair. It seemed like the writers watched Fleabag and Bridgerton in the same week. Uh, you know what? 100%. But um, all that being said, I still liked the movie, but I get why certain people won't and not necessarily Austin adaptation purists, just I get why people won't appreciate it's for lack of a better word, vibe. Maybe tone is actually the better word that I'm looking for, but I've said vibe now and, um, well, whatever. So I'm going to start with spoiler alert, but also this book that it's based on came out in 1818, so no excuses. You can read the book. Also, there have been, like, three other adaptations at least before now. So if you don't know how this book ends, you obviously don't know who Jane Austen is or you're just never going to read it. So spoiler alert, but also sorry, not sorry. So the thing about this movie that's weird is that it's sort of period, but sort of modern. And like, if you saw the trailer, you know what I mean? Whereas it's all in, it's in more or less period costumes are some anachronisms, but whatever. Some of the dialogue is very modern and sometimes it works and sometimes it just doesn't, like the discussions of fives and tens. And also the mugging at the camera, a la Fleabag. Again, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think pretty quickly it becomes a crutch, like they use it too often and because Dakota Johnson has a very modern face, it it just feels a little bit too modern. Though I understand why they made some modern updates. Like, I get what they were going for. So, some of them worked, but they didn't always land. Like, if you saw Baz Luhrmann's movie of The Great Gatsby, the music in that is modern rap. I think Jay-Z produced the soundtrack. And, like, I get what he's going for. He's trying to bring it to a modern audience without modernizing the entire adaptation and even though like in that movie I get what he's going for but I don't think it really works. I think the same thing is happening here but what what it does do very well is that it sets the tone right away. You know exactly what to expect. You know what you're getting within the first couple of minutes which I think helps you watch the rest of the movie because there are no illusions about what 
kind of movie this is going to be. No one's lying to you and they're not tricking you into watching something that you didn't think you were seeing. Like, if you don't like the first five minutes, you're just going to turn it off and not finish the movie. There was also, it was kind of a big deal because there was some colorblind casting, which, I mean, whatever, I don't care about that kind of thing. Um, They at least were consistent. So, like, all the people who were related to each other were essentially the same race, except Henry Golden is Asian and he's supposed to be related to all these white people. I get he's a distant cousin, but whatever. Henry Golding's a good actor. You know, we forgive it. Whatever. That's the only one that was a little bit, huh? But all the other ones I thought worked and they picked really good actors. So wasn't that bothered. The biggest thing that they did that I think has both good things and bad things about it is they, they changed Anne Elliot as a character. And part of that is because Dakota Johnson is playing her and she's... I don't want to call her a one-trick pony, but I think there are things as an actor she's just not capable of just because that's not who she is. And I thought the the biggest problem that they had is that sad Anne was just too sad. Um, so you understand that, you know, she has decided not to marry this person that she really loved because she's been persuaded to by, for practical reasons, by her friends and family and all of that. And you understand that she'd be a little she would be sad about that even after many years. A lot of people have called this book Jane Austen's Ode to Heartbreak, so that all would make sense, but I think they sort of, the pendulum swung a little bit too far, and they've got these scenes where she is, you know, drinking wine straight out of the bottle and crying in the bath and face down on her bed, and yeah, it's funny, but I don't think it makes sense for the character. So you know, I mean, you get it there, she would have her moments of self-pity, but you know, she'd use a glass. What I did really like about this particular adaptation, and I haven't, it's been a couple years since I've read the book, so I don't remember if they, if it's emphasized in the book, but um, a big part of, of this book is her family and how her dad and her sisters have something uh, called the Elliot Pride, <laughs> and they're, they're full of themselves. They're very vain, and Anne is not like that, except that she is a bit. Um, it's just that her pride doesn't manifest in physical vanity, but she is, in this movie anyway, proud of being the cleverest person in the room, and if that's in the book, it's much subtler, <laughs> um, and it's also not something that she would sort of rub in and lord over. She might feel good about herself, but she never seems smug about it, and I think that's one of the problems I had here is, yeah, she might and she might take some solace in knowing that she's smarter than all these dum-dums, but she would never, ever let on. Whereas in this movie, there are some scenes where she is a little too smug and a little too self-aware. Or self-aware is not the right word, but she's a little, she's a little too smug and just a little too full of herself, know it all in a way that I don't think is right for the character. But... Uh, but what is interesting about emphasizing that is that it makes her a little bit more flawed than she is in the book, because in the book, her main flaw is that she allows herself to be persuaded. But by the time we meet her, she's done with that. She's moved past a time in her life where she's impressionable enough to have her mind changed by people. And also, Wentworth, the guy she wants to marry, is rich now. So if they were to get together, everyone would be fine with it. Spoiler alert, that's exactly what happens. But what I think does work is that because she's a little bit more flawed in this um, prideful, vain kind of way um, that is like her family and yet unlike, it does make her more relatable to a modern audience, I think, especially an audience who doesn't necessarily know a lot of Jane Austen and uh, who's not necessarily familiar with all the sort of uh, trappings of the time, like 
having to marry someone who will secure you financially. And yeah, if you like them, bonus points, but it's not necessary. So I think uh, making her a little bit more relatable in that way does open up the door for uh, a modern audience to like her a little bit more than we otherwise might. I think what I really did like about this movie and the thing that sold me on it uh, is that they are, and again this is something I think they're doing for the modern audience, but I think they're much more honest about the nature of the relationships in these in in this movie, especially or in this story, uh, especially between uh, Anne and Frederick and or Captain Wentworth, depending on what you want to call him. Because the thing is, they have a history. They were, as they say in the movie, exes. One of the modern things I do not like, but I, that's how we describe that relationship now. So I, I get, again, I get what they did it. But, uh, and, and then they take it a step further when she goes, it's, uh, we're worse than exes, we're friends. And that was a little bit cringe. But again, I understand. But I think what I like is that they, there is a scene where uh, Anne and Frederick talk to each other and they, they don't quite hash out, they don't do a post-mortem on their relationship, but they are honest about where they stand now, especially because they have to spend all this time together because he's visiting her sister's in-laws while she is also visiting her sister and, you know, all that Regency family stuff that goes on. So I, I did appreciate that they were a little bit more open and I think that made it was a little bit more believable for modern people to be like, oh, okay, they meant something to each other once, they still have feelings for each other, but they're more mature and they've they've realized that their relationship has turned into something else, even though that's not necessarily what either of them wants and they don't really quite have the balls to say it to each other yet, but that's the whole point of the story. Yay! Anyway, you see what I mean. Continuing this theme of stuff that is a little bit more honest, I thought they did the same thing very well with Anne and the Musgroves. That is uh, her sister's in-laws. And so her sister's husband, Charles, wanted to marry Anne first. And this is a known thing. <laughs> like... No one is hiding this. And, and in the book, everyone knows this about uh, about them as well. At one point, Charles's sisters come to Anne and say, oh, we wish he'd married you and married you instead. And uh, in the movie, they, they kind of do that okay. Like, they there's a scene where they're at dinner and, and Anne is the one to blurt it out. And that I didn't like because, A, in that scene, Anne is drunk. And that is, I did not think that was a good character choice that didn't fit with her at all. Uh, she's the responsible one that everyone comes to to fix their problems, not the drunk aunt. I think they leaned into drunk aunt a little bit too much. But, you know, if someone else, the point is it gets brought up at the dinner table and it's just, it's just known and the whole family just goes, yeah, 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 we all, we all would have preferred Anne. And the, the sister who actually did marry him is right there. <laughs> so that kind of stuff like that worked really well. And then what's, what's great about that, the carrying on that those relationships is Charles and, and Anne's sister, Mary, who he ended up marrying, they are both the worst. Um, they're both terrible parents and they totally deserve each other. So you can see Anne 100% made the right choice there. But I did, it's, it did like, I think in general, I liked the openness of the characters in this, that adaptation that you don't get um, either in the book or in other more faithful adaptations. Though, to be fair, speaking of faithfulness, they did hit all the main points of the book. Come back to uh, Mr. Elliot, the cousin, uh, in a bit, because that is the one thing they did deviate from pretty severely that I didn't think made any sense, but more on that in a moment. 
so the the last uh, more honest relationship that I had in this was uh, Anne and her mother's friend, Lady Russell. And Lady Russell is the person who convinced Anne all those years ago not to marry uh, Frederick, even though uh, they loved each other because at that time he was broke AF and was just in the, the Navy and didn't have any money. And, and since then he has uh, made his fortune and returned with a boat, etc., as sailors do. They have boats, so I've been told. Any hoozles. And uh, I think in other adaptations, again, I can't quite remember how they handle this in the book, but in other adaptations, it's just kind of taken for granted that Anne isn't mad. I mean, in, in this movie, Anne is still not mad. Um, she's worked her way through it. But I thought they did, I think, I think in this one, they did a better job of addressing it. They have that conversation of, or she says, you know, she apologizes because, of course, she didn't she didn't know what she didn't know uh, because she couldn't see the future. And Anne is very understanding and forgiving and say, yeah, at the time you did give me the right advice because neither of us knew what was going to happen. We didn't know he was going to come back with success and money and a boat. And, uh, you know, he, he might not have. So uh, in the moment, you gave the right advice in a vacuum. I made the right choice. Of course, hindsight being twenty twenty, that didn't work that didn't turn out to be true and uh, now we're at where we're at. So I, I appreciate that they did very frankly address why Anne isn't mad. It's just not because, oh, Anne is just a nice meek person and she just doesn't hold grudges. And, you know, maybe that's true, but at least there was some explanation character-wise for why she wouldn't be upset and why she continues to be friends with Lady Russell. Because that's something that bothered me in some of the other ones is like, why is she still friends with this old lady? Well, she's not that much of an old lady, but you know, Austin level old lady. Regency era old lady. So in this uh, adaptation, they, I think, were very good with the side characters, which uh, is something I I've noticed that more recent Jane Austen adaptations, uh, even the period ones, they do nail the side characters. Uh, if you saw the Emma that came out two years ago, actually did like that more than a lot of people. But anyway, um, the best part of that was definitely the side characters. They nailed, um, you know, Emma's dad and her neighbors and I and in this, uh, in, in this new persuasion, they similarly get the side characters down very well. Uh, Anne's father, uh, Sir Walter, is, Richard E. Grant plays him, and he's fantastic. It's just very good casting, um, and he's got that, I don't know if fop is a period accurate word for this, but he is this very foppish dandy who's obsessed with his appearance, and, you know, they they go to Bath and they rent a house that they can't afford and all of that. They attend the right parties and they, you know, woo their rich relatives, etc., etc. So, um, nailed him on that guy. He's very, very silly, very full of himself. I just, uh, made, but also did a good job of balancing the, like, you don't, you don't like Sir Walter, but he's funny enough. He's entertaining enough that you, you don't absolutely hate him. Like, you, you like it when he's on screen because he's very entertaining. And, uh, similarly, they did the same thing with both of the ancestors that I talked about before. I, the younger one, Mary, who's married to the guy who wanted to marry Anne. Um, uh, they did a great job with her and also the older sister, who's very much like her father. And the two of them just swan around in society spending money that they don't have. And uh, Mrs. Clay is also there, which is kind of how it works in the book too. <laughs> but um, Mrs. Clay takes us into a, a side character who I thought they didn't do so well. And that is Mr. Elliot, who was a cousin 
but like a distant cousin, but he's still the heir to Sir Walter's uh, fortune, or not really fortune, but title, um, and therefore house. There's no sport. fortune to speak of. Sir Walter spent it all. Uh, but he does have a title and he does have a house. <laughs> so uh, Mr. Elliot, being the closest male relative, would inherit that. And so uh, in in the book and also in the movie, he appears in the story so that he can basically uh, lock down Anne and therefore definitely super duper secure fortunes etc um or so it seems and uh he's he's very charming and it seems like he might very much actually like Anne and in the book it's a big reveal that he's not actually into Anne at all he is into Sir Walter's friend Mrs. Clay because he's afraid that she's gonna marry Sir Walter and gonna give him a son and so he uh woos woos I'm saying woo a lot so he seduces her instead uh but the problem with the movie version is that he's very upfront about that he uh, makes no bones about the fact that he is there just to make sure that he secures his inheritance. And Anne is still into him anyway, which did not make any sense whatsoever, either for like the character in the book or the character that they'd established in this movie thus far. So that very much bothered me. And then um, so then it's supposed to be a reveal because Anne has a friend in Bath that they totally cut from the movie, which, you know, fair enough, cover time, who finds out that Mr. Elliot is actually going around with Mrs. Clay and has no interest in Anne whatsoever. That's a big reveal in, in the book and in, in the movie, they, they totally undercut that because, yeah, we do get the scene where we find, it's, it's kind of funny, where, uh, Mr. Elliot and, uh, Mrs. Clay are just making out on the street and, it's not a big deal, actually. Like, it's, I don't know if they thought that was going to be, like, a <gasps> kind of moment because it doesn't land at all because we already knew that his, like, whole purpose was just to make sure that, you know, he got what he thought was his right rightful inheritance and legally was. So, there's that. <laughs> so, that, that really didn't work. That really bothered me. And then, uh, in the sort of the, the epilogue of the falling action, whatever you want to call it, um, I thought they were much too kind to him because they show him marrying Mrs. Clay and they are blissfully happy. And I think you're supposed to be happy for them. You're like, oh, look, everything worked out. Everyone ended up with somebody. But I, I thought, no, he's, um, I mean, these, these, these books don't really have villains, except for maybe Wickham and Pride and Prejudice, um, but he is the closest thing we have to a villain of the piece in, in this, and I thought they were much too kind to him. If we didn't see him again after we catch him making out with Mrs. Clay on the street, I think that would have been fine. But then to show, like, ah, they had a lovely church wedding with flower petals and guests, I, I thought that didn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, all in all, I, I mean, I liked watching this. I understand why people won't. Again, all of the criticisms, like negative criticism in particular, I saw of it online, I think 100% accurate. I don't think anyone's being unfair, but it still didn't put me off the movie. I still enjoyed watching it. I don't know what that says about me. Maybe I'm just easily pleased. Ha 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 ha. Friends will be like, don't be stupid. <laughs> but yeah, with, as with all Jane Austen adaptations and adaptations of any book, especially classic literature, it's at its best when it sticks to the book. And I think maybe that's why I didn't totally hate it, because when this, when it's good, it's really good, but when it's cringe, it's very cringe. So I don't know if I have swayed anyone in any direction, 
but if you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch or it's uh, it's worth a try for the first five or ten minutes because I think you will know immediately within the first five or ten minutes whether or not you're gonna like it. I know some people saw the trailer and were like, nope, and fair enough, I get it, but if you're sort of on the fence after the trailer, you know, give it a watch. See if you can make 5, 10, 15 minutes in. And if you can, I think you'll enjoy the whole thing. So that's that. Thank you for listening. I'm happy to be back. I'm going to go down to a monthly release schedule because I might actually be able to stick to that. (laughs) So uh, I know uh, in the past I I promised episodes on certain things. Here's the thing. I've forgotten what I promised and I don't remember where I wrote it down and I don't really want to go back and listen to the episode where I listed them off because A, I can't remember and B, it's weird to listen to your own podcast. So things will be happening in the future if you're the kind of person who requests things. I don't think I have a wide enough audience to have those kinds of people but you know if I promise something and you're like, hey, I really wanted to hear that. Uh, Let me know. You can contact me on the social medias, which are in the uh, episode notes um, and or show description. Uh, While I was away, people consistently downloaded my previous episode, which is a review of Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Dorr. Thank you, everyone who continued to listen, even though I wasn't producing anything new. Um, According to my stats, many of you were in Germany. So if you are actually in Germany, danke. If you are just using a VPN and for some reason a bunch of you have it set to Germany, danke anyway. Hello to potentially German listeners. I hope you want to listen to more than just that one episode on a book because I don't have early access to readers copies because I don't sell books anymore. I am a little bit sad about that, but what you gonna do? Life goes on. Anyway, thank you again for listening. Let's do this again next month. You can follow me on the social media links in the episode description. You can even give me money. I don't expect you to give me money, but there is an option to give me money if you would like to give me money. This show doesn't have a lot of overhead, but it's not 100% free for me to make. So if you want to throw me some money, I'm going to stop begging for money now. It's starting to get a little bit gross. Anyway, thank you for listening. It's probably the third time I've said that. I hope you come back again next month, and I also hope that I come back again next month. Okay, goodbye for real this time.